everyone always assumes that like the sex workers are high risk um and like and sex worker becomes this like also this huge category of like anybody who has frequent sex like that might be true for some folks in some scenarios uh but for the adult industry um it, like the the kind of testing regimens that we have make it really hard like uh for and and we would catch anything Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com. And I'm Lotus Lane, and you can find me on all social media at It's Lotus Lane, which is spelled I-T-S-L-O-T-U-S-L-A-I-N. Also, just a reminder, if you're enjoying the podcast on Apple, to please leave us a five-star review that really helps us grow on the podcast and better share the information with our guests on the sex work community as a whole. Who misses free and affordable ads without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education, Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their platform, Trist.link, is a refreshing and well-needed change in both presentation and mission. It's free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies to the language to the advice and tips, it makes such a big difference to feel supported and encouraged instead of policed. Hello, I am Lotus Lane, and I'm here with my co-host, Melrose Michaels, and we have our guests... Mr. Ian O'Brien here with us today to talk about the very sticky subject of misinformed makers of porn. And that really goes into the debunking of the myth within our own community. So with that said, Ian, can you please introduce yourself and why you know us and why you're here? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thank you um, so much for having me. Um, My name is uh, Ian O'Brien. I'm the executive director of PASS, um, Performer Availability Screening Services. Um, we provide health and safety uh, um, services to the adult industry, uh, most notably uh, operating the, the testing protocol that folks get tested for prior to being paid to work on set. Um, uh, prior to that, I worked with FSC, still work closely with FSC uh, for uh, five years. Um, and yeah here uh lotus and i have been colleagues at fsc for uh since 2018 2017 something like that i, I thought you were gonna say 20 years i was like what <laughs> 20 years yeah no yeah. it feels like 20 years <laughs> right <laughs> i love that because there's so much misinformation going on in our community especially around pass and testing and what the protocols really look like especially in like a very content trade kind of ecosystem that we're all seeing ourselves in right now so i mean if i guess we could start there like in terms of misinformation because we're all on twitter and we're all like in the ecosystem of seeing the conversations being had but there's a lot of misconceptions and misinformation around what the proper protocols are especially from people not necessarily coming into adult from porn in the industry itself but coming in from like 
the OnlyFans boom and in the fan site kind of era. Can you speak a little bit about that, Ian, and what you've kind of seen in your own experience? Sure. Um, so uh, there's been a, a, a radical transformation in uh, how the industry has operated in just the past five years. Um, uh, and I, I'm sure, like, uh, been going on much longer than that. But like, um, uh, the the shift from like studio work to this like uh, specific content creation, um, uh, kind of like decentralized aspect of it, I think has led rise to a lot of different strategies and like uh, uh, folks uh, finding information. Um, uh, related to how they do the work that they do. Um, there's not like a single source that, that people are kind of gathering things from. Uh, it's been really interesting from PASS, which was developed as a, a program, I think 2012, 2013, uh, really to solve like uh, problems for studio testing um, as this like single centralized database uh, where we partner with other labs to, to get information into it. Uh, and it left relatively untouched. Um, and now we're in this new space of trying to uh, solve for a variety of health issues um, uh, and a variety of strategies and, and kind of ways that people produce content. Uh, and like been in a worldwide pandemic for the past, uh, several years, which has radically transformed the way everyone in the world operates and of the way we trust information, particularly health information. Uh, and so, and then on top of that, a stigmatized industry, uh, with workers that are not used to like necessarily having all authoritative sources, uh, have their best interests in mind. Um, I certainly understand like how we've ended up in a place where, uh, trying to figure out who to trust, what information is real, and make them a list of it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think a lot of what I've seen over the, especially like you mentioned during the pandemic, there's like, there's one thing to have to get tested to be a performer and to like collaborate with other performers, which is like, there's a protocol and there's like an industry standard that a lot of us will follow. But then when you introduce something like COVID or like now there's even the introduction in the um, national emergency around monkeypox right. too where now there's all these other elements coming into testing and what we need to make sure that we're being safe around and when how did past change in terms of like the, the pandemic and like when did we start incorporating covid testing into past testing as well um sure so uh, pretty soon into the pandemic um when things became available i, I think uh one of the benefits to our industry in COVID is that we already had a testing infrastructure in place, right? Like folks were already yeah, very yeah. like familiar with what that looked like. Um, well, they, we had places for people to go already. Uh, and so it really wasn't like the huge upheaval uh, to like change culture around it. Uh, I think the, mm -hmm. the biggest challenge though um, has been, or before I get into challenges, I'd like, I mean, the like, we when when COVID first started rolling out, like we were getting a bunch of uh, uh, interview requests and um, questions from Hollywood and uh, uh, other folks to kind of see how what they can do to replicate our protocol. And um, uh, our system is like very basic. Like if not, it's uh, just a very standard. Are you going to work? Has people been tested for the things that we've said? Yes or no? 
Um, and I think they're a little shocked by how like straightforward things could be. Um, and my argument was always like, this is largely a cultural, uh, uh, challenge, right? Like we have a, a general understanding of like what it means to protect our health and what testing looks like. Um, what I think the biggest challenge for, for COVID was, uh, is that, um, there, and testing in general, uh, but we've had this like unchanged, very set protocol uh, for the industry for a while now, like with minimal changes over the past decades, um, uh, but nothing too substantial. And the idea is you get tested for this and you're safe, right? Like done for good. Um, and uh, that's not how health operates. <laughs> the safety operates like uh, yeah. it's a, a mitigation tool. Uh, and with COVID, things are evolving all the time. And so I think it made things scarier. It made things like, why are people making rapid decisions around stuff that uh, wasn't necessarily true last week? Um, uh, and so I think it, it uh, called to attention a lot of those vulnerabilities around testing um, and like yeah. a, a yeah. risk assessment that we had kind of taken for granted beforehand. Yeah. I, I love that you said too that like, it's interesting that like Hollywood and people and like journalists and people came referencing the porn industry around testing because it's something that like we figured that out. Like we know what it takes to be safe in our workplace. Um, what I, I would love if you could clarify for people that are listening, especially because I know we have a newer creator audience that tunes in. What is the actual mainstream porn industry protocol for testing? Because a lot of people who are like the OnlyFans creator type of fan site creator they don't really understand what the protocol for testing looks like because they've never actually experienced it. Sure. Um, so uh, we, we folks get tested for seven STIs um, using some specific tests. Uh, um, it's HIV, uh, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, gonorrhea, trichomoniasis, uh, chlamydia, and syphilis. I think I didn't repeat anything. I've said this so many times and I get I like say it in a different order every time. I don't know why. It's been my job. But, um, <laughs> you make it hectic for yourself. <laughs> I know, I know. Okay, how many um it is fun to say trick that's like uh but uh um so uh we had folks get tested for these seven STIs um and they're cleared for 14 days uh uh post the time um of the initial test. So like you get tested on a Monday um, or I'll, uh, and then two weeks from that Monday, um, you're, you'd be cleared uh, despite when your test results come back. So like if your test results come back on a Tuesday, you're still cleared from Monday. Your test results yeah. come back on a Wednesday, yeah. you're still cleared from the Monday you got tested. Um, what's uh, interesting about or unique about our uh, panel is really the, the HIV test that we use. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I get a lot of questions uh, all the time around uh, why people can't get just tested at any studio uh, or any like clinic or, or something like that or, or STIs because like there is a lot of free testing uh. available and just, like the, the relationships that we have are expensive. Um, and that's really because of the HIV test that we use. Um, and it's a, a PCR HIV test, um, uh, uh, also called a NAT, um, NATT, or NAAT, excuse me, sorry. Um, some scientist is going to like listen to this and yell at me. Uh, but uh, 
Mustang just tunes in. I'll let you know. I'm, I'm always scared of being bullied by the medical community. Academics are strange. Um, but um, biggest fear, the, the teacher thing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, the the PCR, the reason you use the PCR test is because it has an earlier detection period. Like our, our, it's called a window period. So the ability for the test to detect infection um, after you potentially contracted something. Um, uh, there's a period of time in which most tests won't be able to pick up on something. Um, so like, uh, um, or how do I put this simply? Uh, like an incubation period? Yeah, a COVID, little bit. No? So an incubation period, it, so an incubation period is the period of time between like when you get an infection and when symptoms appear, yeah. right? So like, you know, you have the infection, but like, you can't tell that anything's happening in your body. Um, uh, and mm-hmm. so like it still exists, but your body hasn't told you yet because your immune system is responding. The window period is the same thing, but for like the ability to detect. So like you have the infection, but like we might not necessarily have the technology to be able to fit up on that it, it lives there yet. Uh, and for STIs, that's really important because a lot of them aren't symptomatic, uh, or yeah. Yeah. um, and so like you might not be, no, you're, you're passing something on. Uh, or or have something until you get tested for it. So, and HIV, which has a yeah. really long incubation and dormancy period where you can have it for years and never know unless you got tested, uh, it's really important that like, we test for it uh, as early as we can. Um, and so the PCR test that we use uh, is like as um, has the shortest period of time that we can detect something. Uh, and most tests that you would go to at a clinic, which is this uh, antibody antigen test, um, which is also reliable and a good test, but it has a little bit longer detection period. Uh, it um, it and it is much cheaper, um, but it's it's a great test. And the reason that every like free clinic uses it is most people are only getting tested once every six months. Yeah. At most. If that, yeah, if that, right? Like, so, like, you don't have to have a really short detection period because you're testing for things that you've been doing in the past year. Yeah, for performers, yeah. because of an occupational health and, and creators, there's an occupational health concern. We use this really short period to like really minimize. Um, and the 14 days is tied to that uh, uh, window period as well, because the the idea is, um. If you were to get HIV within the kind of testing period, that, the, the clearance period, we'd be able to detect it prior to um, you being able to transmit it. Oh. Uh, so, like, um, uh, if you like got tested, um, got HIV in the middle of that, it would the virus would still be replicating in your body. Um, by the time you have to get tested and cleared again, we'd likely be able to detect. Um, so that's for that 14 days. I'm, I'm really glad you made that like specific note right there because one of the main misinformation things that gets passed around and it kind of almost seems like like cyclical to to be honest is that HIV is infiltrating our testing system and that you know people whether they want to accuse one group of whether it be like gay men or whether it be bi men or whether it be trans people or whether it be escorts um, and people that provide full service sex work. There's always some group that people are blaming the potential 
infiltration of HIV upon in our industry. So I really feel like what you just said speaks directly to that. Like how likely is it and how common is it that there actually is HIV infiltrating our system? Past system. So since the inception of past, there has not been an onset transmission of HIV, uh, which is incredible. A it's a remarkable one? feat. Not okay. one. Not one. Um, Mic drop yeah. moment right there. I know. That's- like, that's, and that's a huge public health thing. Like, I, when I talk to colleagues in public health, um, they, everyone always assumes that, like, sex workers are high risk. Right. Um, and, like, and sex worker becomes this, like, also this huge category of, like, anybody who has frequent sex. Um, uh, and, like, money is involved in some part of the process. And, like, that might be true for some folks in some scenarios. Uh, but for the adult industry, um, it, like the, the kind of testing regimens that we have make it really hard like, yeah. uh, for, and, and we would catch anything. Um, yeah. Uh, so like, it's like that, uh, we, we don't have a huge, um, incidence rate in that regard. Uh, so, um, I, that, that is like, a um, uh, I, I think testing, and the kind of like mechanics of testing are really underlooked as prevention tools. Right. Because also, you know, what this made me remember is um, how there is like emerging STIs that we are now aware of because of our very rigorous testing system. So it's almost like the opposite of the misinformation and the the propaganda that's being put out there. We're not adding and infiltrating um, STIs into our, our testing system, into our performer pool, we're actually identifying new ones that haven't even necessarily been identified out in the um, public medical space. Ian, I know yeah, you yeah. know what I'm I about knew. to get into. Um, <laughs> MGen, our most recent emerging virus that's been like um, emerging. How dare I say that again? But yeah, seriously, that- um, I myself don't even know that much about it because it's so new, but speak a little bit about how we kind of came across that with what we do at PASS. So like we were actually informed by performers uh, about this, which I I think is another like um, uh, uh, important uh, cultural tool, right? Like there are people... Yeah, with like and aware of what's going on with bodies and like, hey, this is something that's happening. Like, how do we talk about this and think about it as an industry? Um, I think uh, so. MGen or Mycoplasma genitalium is this very small bacteria, um, and it's really difficult to uh, detect because of how small it is. Uh, up until like I want to say the end of 2019 or 2020, there wasn't even an FDA approved test to to look for it. Um, it causes symptoms similar to, to gonorrhea and chlamydia. Uh, and most of the time it's a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning like you have like some kind of pelvic, uh, pain or you're experiencing some kind of like, uh, symptoms in your gender here and reach back. Um, you can also live in your butt, uh, and you get tested for other STIs. Uh, it all comes back negative. Uh, and then the clinician, if they know that mycoplasma genitalium or antigen is a thing, will get you tested for that. Uh, there's very little public health information on it. It is a place of increasing interest. Um, uh, unfortunately for it, it's uh, like 
started to get a lot of attention when COVID hit and all public health funding kind of went that direction. So it's, yeah. um, but we, uh, this past year, we were actually approached by um, a spank chain uh, who had also been hearing about it in the community uh, to fund a program, um, a, a pilot program to give performers free testing and free treatment for MGen. Um, that we've been running in uh, uh, Vegas and, and Florida for since I'm gonna say April, um, and that's been really cool. It's a, the first of its kind, right? Like this is not a um, uh, a, a test that's for three, four people don't have access to it, uh, and so we're really trying something new. Uh, we've gotten a lot of like what um, I don't want to say a lot of blowback on it. But there has been some like uh, uh, questions about like why we don't include it or mandate it as part of yeah. the past panel, um, which is the whole. Well, we I, we can talk about that as a whole other like, conversation around how things get decided there. Um, a whole other episode. But, yeah, I know, I know. Like, I, I I think this is an assumption. I can wave a magic wand and things work out, as opposed to operating systems. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah. it is a like uh, it's discovering it figuring out ways for us to intervene as a industry is really awesome and like uh, i think because of our like constant testing and understanding the tools that we have available to us we can kind of find those intervention points yeah especially faster these i i want to almost i think that's a good segue too because there's so many times where especially on like sex work twitter and like in the community where i'm seeing things and this is so aligned with our season of like myths and propaganda where I'm seeing some of the propaganda be shared from creator to creator. And it makes me kind of crazy because I'm like, it's hard to differentiate between misinformation in general. And like, that's a blanket, but it applies to everything right now, news, everything, especially the pandemic too. But what I'm seeing like in our community, like even propaganda around like, you know, the, the trafficking hub and like all these other things that are happening. Um, it, there's this like element where we're spreading it amongst ourselves that I feel no one talks about. And like, and I don't know what that, what that is. And I see it with testing because I see creators say like, well, you know, it's just a content trade. We don't need, we don't need to get tested for that. I'm like, what are you going to make out? Are you going to touch? Yeah, you do. Like, <laughs> like it, it, yeah. If you're collaborating, you need to be tested. And like, and that applies to almost all of this misinformation in our community as a whole is like, we're saying things, repeating things within our own community that is doing a disservice to our own well-being and longevity in our own industry. And I think that people don't just, they don't talk about it, you know? They don't assess yeah. that as a danger in and of itself to our own space and our own community. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I, I think, um, I mean, I've been, my life at the moment is all monkeypox all of the time. So <laughs> I got monkeypox on the brain. Um, <laughs> I know, just like, like so ridiculous. They're calling him. I like, I got an email this morning from like a, a policy source that was like, uh, scientists still working on renaming monkeypox. And I'm like, you need a whole committee to like, how long do you need to change the name? Anyway, like, but, um, <laughs> like, uh, I, that kind of misinformation is not unique to our community. Like, I've been really following. Yeah. Like what's happening with the uh, LGBT men, like um, uh, gay and queer men, these 
um, around monkeypox and kind of the like struggles there. And I think part of the it, like not, I, I hate throwing stigma for a reason for everything, but I do think like uh, when the broader community doesn't reflect like uh, who you are and you can't necessarily trust them to understand your specific needs. Um, it's harder to like believe in uh, uh, authority sources. And like, that's my like armchair sociological, <laughs> like look at this. There are definitely smarter people with like more insight uh, as to why that occurs. But, um, but to me personally, like when I think of health systems, um, it, it, that is why I, it, trust is so important as yeah. uh, a piece of it, right? Like, um, uh, whether monkeypox or MGen or, or really HIV, um, uh, like the building trust and figuring out how to do that, I think is critical for uh, navigating and creating health systems um, and and spreading effective information. Uh, like with, for HIV, we we know what the science is. Like it is very like there's a, a anytime we talk about HIV in the industry, everything blows up and people are scared that we're doing something like so that we're we're gonna like yeah. secretly cause people to have HIV or like force them to work with folks that they don't want to work with right. or like and I, I that is I I don't know where they think like I. I how I, <laughs> I like what would be my incentive there like as the yeah. health person for the industry you know because um, you're not really the health uh, but, person you're a secret mole sent by the powers that be to put hiv in everyone no that's that's what i'm talking about people have these thoughts that come from out of the blue that think and who would even be these powers that be who would benefit from this this thought that we're doing this kind of stuff and I, I mean, as it, it is both ridiculous and I get the like fear of the unknown, right? Like, and um, I also like I'm not a person that likes to be in front of a camera, and I still not. I'm like I'm here because uh, I love Lotus, and we'll do whatever she asks. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to be better at like getting information out there. But I think part of me not getting out, <laughs> um. Uh, has been uh, detrimental and that like people don't know what's happening behind the scenes right like they don't there's no faith they don't know who's making the decision it's like this like weird body uh that's like making sense and it's posted like a bunch of nerds that are like coming up with like hyper specific ways to care about people and are like really worried yeah. about uh, fear and um and and trust and uh so like the topic of HIV, we we know that undetectable and untransmittable. Like it, years we have, like uh, years and years and rigorous and rigorous studies of evidence that like, and every single scenario that anyone has ever invented uh, around um, whether or not this is going to transmit if somebody has viral suppression uh, of HIV, um, and when we remotely suggest that we might develop some sort of system for uh, HIV positive individuals to be able to like meet their other sexual health needs, even if it's not like related to any of the other testing we do, people freak out. Um, and 
Uh, and I think a lot of that is because we haven't built strong trust. Like, uh, when I say that, do you believe me? <laughs> like, like we're, we're not going to hurt you. Yeah. Um, that we, we care about you, that this is all yeah. about care. Uh, and um, I, I think sometimes leading with stacks doesn't matter if uh, yeah. people are scared. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's, that's my maybe naive intervention point, but that's where I think, uh, or at least where I try to base our actions from. Yeah. I think something you said that you said stood out, which was that it, it revolves so much around trust and like trusted resources. And I was wondering if you could share what you would suggest, like in terms of like resources for creators to keep tabs on and like look into. Um, so that they know that they can get information that's valid and share information that's sure. valid. Um, so, I mean, I <laughs> past tries to do that. I, I, I'm laughing here, um, and I use the word try, uh, not because we're putting out anything false, but because like we, we are a resource, but it's also like, uh, trust me, we're doing it right, right? Like, I, um, uh, in order to trust me as a resource, you have to trust me. <laughs> Uh, but but pass passcertified.org we have a, a a bunch of information on there that we update regularly with um, uh, our, our testing protocols information about the things that we test for um, uh, what we're doing um, uh, uh, FSC has become a a, a great source of um, so free speech coalition dot com um, uh, of like uh, available resources for the industry. Um, I, uh, I personally follow a variety of, um, uh, pieces of information and conflicting like information sometimes to kind of get a more holistic understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think I, I love social media and Twitter in particular for like the kind of rapid quick, analysis of certain things but it, it can be dangerous because like when you have that kind of like very shorthand information on things it's really easy to misinterpret what that is um even if it's correct like maybe you're looking at it at a different angle like how it, it when you have what is it like 240 characters not 80 nothing um, like that there's only so much that you can communicate <laughs> yeah. uh and um and nuance you can specify so um i i love that for like finding things and then uh looking to other um pieces of information your own um other places as well i also look at other countries information frequently um, oh i love that particularly around health stuff yeah so like I, the cdc can produce and does produce really reliable stuff but there's always going to be a political bent in literally anything anyone does including that like even I, I try to be as neutral as possible, but like humans are human, right? It, like it's not written by robots. And if it was, those robots are still probably uh, I know, robot party something. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and so kind of like finding that and triangulating information, I think is important. Yeah, um, I love and that. And then ask question. Yeah, there's a free speech coalition. I, I rely on FSC for a lot. Like I have their newsletter. Like I, I actually visit their website. I'm a donor. But like that's between them and PASS and a couple other organizations. I really love like the um, 
the old pro project and referencing a lot of their work too they it gives you a bigger broader range of trusted information versus what you get in the twitter sphere because in the twitter sphere because it is so Mm -hmm. limited even factual information like you said can be completely out of context because there's just not enough words like there's not enough letters yeah I think the more we live on Twitter, the more of a disservice we kind of do without looking and seeking out actual, genuine, authentic, credible information. So I love that you said that um, Twitter can be a downfall or a beautiful place. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and it, it feels so good to go on to something at, like social media and find somebody with the same opinion as you, right? Like um, my brother and I talk about it all the time. We'll like watch a show and we'll get angry about something and then we'll go to Reddit to find somebody who has an angry post. <laughs> the same idea about us. Like, yeah, that was stupid. The show was stupid. And it, it feels good. It's a huge rush. Yeah. But like, also, uh, like, uh, quick, like, uh, tidbits of information that um, uh, might not represent uh, the whole truth. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of times with Twitter, too, people just, especially when there's really great information threads, people just grab the first tweet and they're like this is what it is and then they don't read the rest and that's like uh, yeah take the time to read and look a little bit deeper yeah i love that now like when i go to reshare something i don't know if it's on twitter i think it was on oh twitter it might be on, on twitter where it'll question yeah. you yeah is it, it twitter because um if there's an article or a link it's like do you want to yes. at least read this link first and I'm like yeah yeah you're right maybe i should <laughs> 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 it kind of like shows you how often you yeah. do it because i'll be like oh i'm gonna go retweet this because i agree with the general yeah. headline and like i can see the the source is a source i trust or whatever I'm like do you want to read it and i was like oh i'm yeah, that person like, but it's yeah good because it. what if just the headlines is which many headlines are clickbait and then you read it and it's actually an opposing opinion to something you yeah. believe in yeah yeah i want to go sharing no, that definitely. and then people that follow us think that we are reliable sources and they're like wow well they said that so this is what they shared and this must be what's really the truth and hence misinformation being shared (laughs) yeah a hundred percent well i think that's a great place to end um ian where can they find out everyone who's listening more about yourself and more about pass and fsc sure um so pass is uh uh pass certified everywhere so our website's um uh passcertified.org uh, you can find us on Twitter at, at Pass Certified. Um, uh, FSC is freespeechcoalition.com um, or at FSC Army on Twitter. And then uh, my personal uh, Twitter is uh, Ian T. O'Brien. So I am T. O'Brien. Love that. Well, thank you for joining us, Ian. This was amazing. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I hope you all have a lovely rest of your day. This segment of today's episode is sponsored by Sex.com, one of the absolute best content creator platforms out there. It looks better than any other, has a higher level of security than any other, and boasts over 3 million unique visitors a day scrolling through viral looped adult short form videos. Sex.com is like, well, (laughs) sex itself. A lot of people do it. Some just do it much, much better than the others sex.com if you're gonna do it do it right thank you for joining us for another episode of on the horizon a podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it i'm melrose michaels and you can find me at melrose michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com 
And I'm Lotus Lane, and you can find me on all social media at It's Lotus Lane, which is spelled I-T-S-L-O-T-U-S-L-A-I-N.